at the pearly gates, St. Peter greeted a minister and a congressman and gave them their room assignments in heaven. Pastor, here are the keys to one of our nicest efficiency units. And for you, Mr. Congressman, the keys to our finest penthouse suite. This is unfair, cried the minister. Listen, St. Peter said, ministers are a dime a dozen up here, but this is the first congressman we've ever seen. Bad theology, but I thought it was a good joke. We've been talking about heaven, and I'll try to uh, speed this along this morning. We've been talking about heaven for the past few weeks, and we've been talking about the physical heaven, the temporary heaven, the eternal heaven. We've been talking a lot about those things, but this morning, to understand where we are going, sometimes we have to look and see where we have been before. And in eternity and in God's economy, we have to look to see where we have been to understand this morning when we talk about the curse being removed and what that means. So first of all, we have to recognize that there is a curse on mankind and we have to recognize where that curse came in. We go to Romans chapter 5 and we look at some familiar verses there as it talks about uh, the first Adam, um, God's first man that he created. Beginning in verse number 12, we read a few of these verses, and we'll see where the curse of sin came in. It says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, which was Adam, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. So we see the curse of sin accounted here in the book of Romans by the Apostle Paul. And we see the curse of sin. We recognize sin as this. Sin is a failure to conform to the moral law of God and act attitude are in our nature what we sometimes fail to recognize is this we fail to recognize that sin is also our moral nature it is a part of what we are born with our very nature our internal character is the, the essence of who we are as persons can also be sinful have you ever confronted someone over something that they did or something uh, in, in life and they said, I can't help it, I was just born this way. You ever heard that excuse? I can't help it, I was just born this way. This is just who I am. Well, Paul says in his writings that we, before we were redeemed by Christ, not only did we do sinful acts and have sinful attitudes, that we were also sinful by nature. We were sinful by who we are and, and, and being born under a curse. So Paul can say in Romans 5, 8, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Paul also said in Ephesians 2, 3, 
we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We are born into a sinful, cursed world. When I was an unbeliever, even when I was asleep, even when I couldn't think a bad thought or perform a bad act or be a part of something bad and sinful that was going on, even while I was asleep, I was still a sinner in God's sight. I still had a sinful nature that did not conform to the law of God. John In 1 John 3, 4, John says that sin is lawlessness. All of these things emphasize the seriousness of sin. And sin is what we, the thing that when we get to heaven and the curse is removed, it'll be one of the most joyous moments and one of the most uh, joyous experiences of all of our lives. But while we are here, we have to recognize that sin is a serious matter and we can't overlook it. We realize from experience in our own lives that sin is harmful to us. It brings pain and destructive consequences to us. And it affects other people. All of our sin affects others. There's no, no greater example of the consequence of sin in Scripture than that of King David. King David, who the Scriptures tell us was a man after God's own heart. The greatest king of the nation of Israel. Made Israel into the most prominent, powerful, rich nation that was on the earth at that time. But David, the, the scriptures tell us, David began to read his own press clippings. David began, began to listen to the things that people said about him. And David got lazy. And the scriptures tell us that while the kings were out in the spring at war, as they were supposed to be, David stayed back in his palace and was just going to take it easy. But then we see the account there where he has lust in his heart for another man's wife, Bathsheba. Then we see him <coughs> act on that lust with her. He commits adultery. Then he commits murder to cover up the adultery. And then we see how this progresses with him, how his sin would affect the rest of his life. We see him lose a child with Bathsheba and go into a deep, mournful depression. We see later on, <coughs> his kingdom come against by his own children with the rebellion of Absalom and we see that as David dies that his children are so far removed from him that they have to hire people to come in to comfort him and keep him warm we see the consequences of his sin but to define sin <coughs> simply as a failure to conform to the moral law of God is to say that sin is more simply painful and destruction. It is also wrong in the deepest sense of the word. It's wrong. I used to tell students in our, in our student ministry, they'd get in trouble and they, they'd come and we'd talk about it and they'd say, I'm just tired of being in trouble. I don't want to get caught and be in trouble. I just want to do right and not, not be in trouble anymore. And I'd tell them we don't want to do right just because we don't want to get in trouble. We do right because it's what God has called us to do as Christians. We live in a universe created by God who is completely righteous, completely holy, and he does not approve of sin, and he gives us great example in Scripture of those sin and how we shouldn't approve of those sins. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning in verse number 9, he says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. 
Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, those who put things on this earth ahead of God, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers. What is a reviler? A reviler is someone who uses gossip in a hostile way to hurt another person. Nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Then he goes, uh, Paul also says in Galatians 5, 19 through 21, he lists these things that are sinful. He says, now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality. Sexual immorality, simply saying that any, any relationship that is immoral outside of the relationship of a man and wife that God has brought together is sexual immorality. It is the, the, the sin that brings the most emptiness into a person's life. 1 Corinthians 6.18 says, says that it is a sin against our own body. It tears us down from the inside out. The works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. All these things that we talked about here are directly opposite to all that is good in the character of God. And God, who necessarily and eternally delights in himself and all that he is in his righteousness, so God also necessarily hates sin. And guess what? He expects us to hate sin also. We see his description there in, in Job chapter 1 that Job was a man who lived a righteous life, but he also hated sin. Because sin is a contradiction of the excellence of God's moral character. It contradicts his holiness, and God has to hate it. And he expects us to hate sin also. So we see the origin of this curse of sin. Where did it come from, and how did it come into this universe? First, we have to clearly say that God never sinned. And God is not to be blamed for sin. It was man who sinned. It was the angels who sinned. And in both cases, they did so by willful, voluntary choice. Some of you are sitting there with a look on your face like, I thought we were going to heaven this morning. You're really bringing us down. Like I said, we got to know where we have been to see how good it's going to get for where we're going. God never sinned. Blaming God would be blasphemy against the character of God. Deuteronomy 32.4 says that God's ways are perfect for all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and right is he. Even before the disobedience of Adam and Eve, there was angelic disobedience, the fall of Satan and his demons. And so the first sin of humans was that of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden when they ate of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And we see three questions here that Adam and Eve go against the will of God in, in their sin. First, there's the question of what is true. God had told Adam and Eve they would die if they ate from the tree. The serpent came along and said, you will not die. 
So they had to weigh out there, and Eve decides, I'm going to doubt the authority of God. I'm going to doubt what he has said. I'm going to listen to the, to the serpent. I'm going to doubt the truth of God's word, and I'm going to do my own experiment to see whether God spoke truthfully. How'd that work out for her? Second, their sin goes against the question of what is right. God had said it was morally right for Adam and Eve not to eat from the fruit of the one tree. But the serpent suggested that it would be right to eat of the fruit and that in eating, Adam and Eve would become like God. So Eve does her own evaluation and she trusts what she thinks. And she sees that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise and therefore she took of its fruit and ate. Was there ever a sin in your life that didn't look good at the time? Was there ever a sin in your life that didn't look uh, appealing to the eye and appealing to our senses and made us desire that sin? And Eve took of the fruit and ate. And then we see the third consequence to the, of this question of sin, the question of who am I? The correct answer was that Adam and Eve were creatures of God. They were dependent on Him and always to be subordinate to their Creator and Lord. But all of a sudden, they said, Who am I? I can make my own choices apart from God. I can do whatever I want to do apart from God. And as Romans 5.12 says, Since sin came into the world by one man, the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation if that had been the only sin that was ever committed this world would still be under condemnation because God hates sin that much all sin is ultimately irrational if we think about it it made no sense for Satan to rebel against God and to think that he could exalt himself above God nor did it make sense for Adam and Eve to think that there could be any gain when they disobeyed God's word, they made foolish choices. And now look at the effects of that sin on this world all these thousands of years later. We live in a world that is in complete chaos and rebellion, open rebellion against God. We live in a society now where we um, basically... As a, as a nation and as a world, we say we want to push God out of everything that we are about and everything that we do, and we want to do our own thing and exalt our way and exalt who we are above God. We live in a world of war. We live in a world of murder. We live in a world of just deep darkness because of the rebellion against God and sin. So we see the curse there that we're under. Now let's lighten the mood. Let's remove that curse. You know Christ as Savior? You don't live under that curse anymore. You live in a broken, fallen world. You live in an evil, cursed world. You live in a world that has been touched in every sense of the way by that original sin and by that curse of that sin, 
But you live, as Paul says in Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no what? Condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I cannot wait till the Holy Spirit moves in y'all's heart one day when I quote that verse and these, these chandeliers rattle from the, from the shouting. It's the greatest verse in the New Testament. Because you can't live, you cannot live the life that you that you were called to live on your own, you have to have the blood of Jesus applied to your life to live a life under no condemnation. The removal of the curse in Revelation 22, 1, 3. Let's look at where we're going. We've seen where we've been. We see where we are. Now look at this in Revelation 22, 1 through 3. It says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for, his, for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed. No longer will there be anything accursed. This earth won't be accursed. Mankind won't be under a curse of sin. But the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this in the book Heaven. He says, everything will be glorified, even nature itself. And that seems to me to be the biblical teaching about the eternal state. That what we call heaven is life in this perfect world as God intended humanity to live it. When he put Adam in paradise at the beginning, Adam fell and all fell with him. But men and women are meant to live in the body and will live in a glorified body in a glorified world and God will be with them. Verse number 3. There will no longer will there be any curse. I want heaven fascinates me. The subject of heaven fascinates me. But I can't wrap my mind around most of it. It's, it's too big for me to comprehend. I know that in the New Jerusalem, when New the New Jerusalem, ladies that are studying tomorrow in Revelation 21, the New Jerusalem will come down after the great white throne of judgment. And after the earth has been renewed, resurrected, then the new Jerusalem will come down. So y'all are ahead in your Bible study. Those who weren't here today didn't get it. They got, all right? You say, the preacher said, and in that new Jerusalem, it's described as this. There'll be streets of gold. There'll be walls of jasper. There'll be 12 gates in the city of Jeru the new Jerusalem. That will be completely one pearl. Now that, that, that's fascinating. And I'm looking forward to seeing that someday. And to walking on streets of gold. But you know what means more to me than anything? I'm going to see Jesus. It says right here. It says right here, if you go on to verse number 4, it says, They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. At night, 
there won't be any more night. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. This earth will be as God intended it to be before the curse of sin came in. It will be perfect in its creation. And we will live in that place and we will live in the presence of God. And there will be no more fight and no more struggle with sin and no more fight and struggle with the curse that we have lived in with this earth. There will never be another temptation to go against God's word or to go against what God has established as sin. There, there will never be another desire outside of the desire to be in God's presence. To me, that's worth a lot more than streets of gold, walls of jasper, or gates of pearl. To know that that struggle will have ended. To know that I'll never see another friend or relative racked, their bodies racked by pain and disease and hurt. After Adam's sin, God said, cursed is the ground because of you. Adam went from being a caretaker of God's creation to having to toil and sweat over God's creation. I'll never hear another helicopter coming into land over here to pick up somebody and take them somewhere. Like we, I, I can hear that one going now. When the curse is reversed, we will no longer engage in painful toil, but we will enjoy satisfying caretaking of God's creation. Anthony Hoakima says this on page 106 of the book Heaven. He says, because of man's fall into sin, a curse was pronounced over this creation. God now sent his son into this world to redeem that creation from the results of sin. The work of Christ, therefore, is not just to save certain individuals, not even to save an innumerable throng of blood-bought people. The total work of Christ is nothing less than to redeem this entire creation from the effects of sin. That purpose will not be accomplished until God has ushered in the new earth, until paradise lost has become paradise regained. The removal of the curse of sin means that people, culture, the earth and the universe will again be as God intended in his original creation. Now how is that curse lifted? That curse was lifted at a great price for Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ paid a great price to lift that curse from us. The Jews said that anyone who was hanged upon a tree was what? They were cursed. Jesus was hung on a tree on a cross to take the curse away from us. Galatians 3.13, Paul says that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Jesus took the curse for me. Jesus went to a cross and took the wrath, all of the wrath of God that was intended for me. Jesus went to a cross and took it for me. And because of that, one day I will get to live in an existence, a physical place where God's perfect creation will be for eternity. I will be there in the earth as God intended it in the new heaven and the new earth. 
you go back later this afternoon and read those first three verses in Revelation 22 and look at the harmony and perfect fellowship between God and his creation. And then go back and read in Genesis 1 and 2 about the perfect harmony and fellowship that God had with Adam and Eve. As God would leave heaven and come to earth and walk and talk and commune with Adam and Eve. And for all eternity, we will be in that perfect harmony and that perfect fellowship and that perfect existence between God and us. So, the curse will be removed and eternity will be ours to enjoy with God as he intended in his original creation. Next week, over the next couple of weeks, we'll look at how our life will be there in heaven with this curse removed from us. I upset some people a couple weeks ago when I said that we will work in heaven. We'll have a job in heaven. Somebody sent me a message that says, does that mean that we'll have Monday mornings in heaven? I, I don't know. I'm just a preacher. I'm not the activity director in heaven. That may be my job. I don't know. But I know this. My work will be fulfilling. My work will be work that glorifies God. My work will be work that glorifies His creation. My work will be work that is eternally joyful. Tomorrow morning when the alarm clock goes off, some of you will just, you'll, you'll hit that snooze button. I made a post on Facebook the other day. The man who invented the snooze button probably never invented anything after that. And you'll hit that snooze button two or three times and you'll, you'll, you'll gripe and you'll complain about having to get up, but not in heaven. And we're going to look the next couple of weeks at what our existence in heaven will be like. This morning, more important than anything else is, will you be there? Because the curse will still exist, but it won't exist in heaven. It will exist apart from God's creation. It will exist in a place called hell, where there will be an eternity of regret and remorse and sorrow and pain that we can't even comprehend. And the curse will be active for eternity there. As much as it is removed in heaven and as much as it touches every part of heaven, the removal of that curse, the continuation of that curse in hell will be eternal. And it will touch every pit and corner there for all of eternity. And I don't want you to look back on this moment this morning for eternity and say, I had an opportunity there, October 22nd, 2017. Millions and millions of years ago, I had an opportunity. The Holy Spirit spoke to my heart and pointed me to Jesus. And even after hearing all the things that the minister said that morning about sin and its consequences, I chose to continue in my sins and I chose to continue under the curse 
And because of that, I'm eternally separated from God without hope in all of eternity. See, I look back at where we've been. I look back at my life at where I've been. And I remember that day when God took the curse away from me. And I remember the peace of that moment in knowing that heaven was my home or heaven is my home. I want your eternity to be spent enjoying the presence of God and his favor and knowing that when the Holy Spirit spoke to you and pointed you to Jesus, you immediately responded. Would you stand this morning, Father? For those who are here this morning who don't know Christ as their Savior, I pray that this morning will be the morning of the miracle where they go from death to life in the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that you'd put everything else aside out of our minds and that you would speak to our hearts. Father, for the believer here, I pray that we would understand where we are headed to for eternity. And I pray that this morning our prayer would be, God, help me to know more about you here in this life so that I long for heaven even more and I long to take more people with me as I go. And for the one this morning who doesn't believe, I pray that they would understand the eternal consequences of this moment. And I pray that they would put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. For the ones who need to follow in baptism or church membership, the ones who just need to come and pray this morning for whatever purpose they have, I pray that nothing would hinder us. In Jesus' name. Amen.